I'm using my headphones so you don't hear my dog in the background. <laughs> hey, I always welcome the cute tangents on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Seasonal greetings, listeners. Prescription Sound is the name. Podcasting is the game. And your host, Drew Duglin, is about the same. I believe this is episode 23, and we have something fresh and exciting for you as ever. I thought we would step outside of the lab today and step into the office of Dr. Daphne Lurie, who is an in-house clinical psychologist at Scripps Research on the La Jolla campus. Never has mental health been so important after the year we've all had, and I think we could all benefit from some useful strategies on how to stay resilient no matter what life throws at you. So let's dive in head first, and we'll start by learning what it means to be a clinical psychologist and how Daphne was inspired to take this path. Traditionally, counseling psychologists and counselors are trained to address more life development concerns for people, and clinical psychologists are trained not only to address life changes and development, but also psychopathology and underlying uh, more significant mental health concerns. Okay, got it. And I mean, we spoke when you did the workshop before uh, about careers, and um, I'm kind of curious, you know, how did you get into clinical psychology? You know, what was your interest there? Well, you know, the the thing that triggered my interest happened when I was 13. Uh, My baby sister, Danielle, was born, and I was fascinated by her birth and development, and I wanted to know more about how we all learn and grow as human beings. Uh, I also had a strong inclination to do good in the world, so mm. psychology brought together both my curiosity and my spirit of service. So it, it just so happens that it all worked out, and I love what I do. Yeah, I feel like it often gets shaped by those personal experiences, so that's really cool. Absolutely. So the topic of mental health, I think, has been on, on people's radars a lot lately. <laughs> and right. I think, you know, aside from the, the difficulties of this year with, um, you know, the pandemic and, and social unrest, it does seem like over the past, I don't know, a decade at least, there seems to be a rise in concern around um, mental health, particularly in, say, like adolescents and young adults. And I was wondering what your take was on this. And have you seen similar? And if so, what do you think the general reasons might be for it? Right. Well, the National Institute of Mental Health says that one in five adults now in the U.S. live with a mental illness, Mm. and only about half of those seek treatment. Um, However, the rate of mental health concerns has increased with the spread of COVID-19, too. So late in June, the CDC conducted a survey of 5,000 adults in the U.S. and found that about 40 percent, this is a, a very high number, endorsed symptoms of depression, anxiety, trauma, or substance use issues. This level of distress is about three times higher than what a similar survey found before the pandemic. Mm. So that's really notable. Here at Scripps, we're finding increased concern, but not at the heightened levels reported by the CDC. Here, I think, my opinion is that we have emotional protective factors in place, uh, much like we have physical safety procedures in place, which is awesome. I think the fact that members of our community, first of all, have work uh, and are at work, that they recognize the value and utility of what they're doing because it's so directly related to the health efforts the nation needs is a real protective factor. Um, The fact that so many community members are staying connected with all their colleagues and peers and families nationally and abroad, even virtually, is a protective Mm -hmm. factor. 
the fact that the Institute has an in-house counseling center where I work, where people can bring their concerns and receive confidential support before their challenges escalate. And I also think that the fact that the Institute itself has set up a plan for the well-being of the community, including weekly testing, helps our community members to feel fundamentally safe and supported. Yeah, I feel so lucky that we we have these services on site. And what you mentioned there about the emotional protection, I suppose, are you getting at the fact that with the work a lot of our scientists are doing, it gives them such meaning and they're almost taking on, I guess, the responsibilities of, of the rest of the world in medicine. And that really helps people sort of overcome those um, difficult challenges. Yes. And I would add that the work that our uh, support, support staff is doing is also extremely valuable because those of us who are here to support scientists... Right feel like we're doing something to make a difference as well yeah it's an amazing team something else you mentioned in that is that with those growing trends that you stated that only a a smaller fraction of people are actually seeking treatment and i wondered why you think that might be and does there seem to be a, a certain stigma associated with with seeing a counselor perhaps you know was that the case in the past and has that changed now or not I would say that um, stigma to seeking counseling is becoming increasingly less of an issue over time. Certainly at Scripps Research, we're seeing clients from all over the world and from all parts of the institute, from students to PIs, from animal resources specialists to postdocs. So I think they all welcome the chance to work through their life challenges with professional support. Um, But I do think that elsewhere, I think Access to mental health services can be hard for for some living in the broader community. Increased workloads and reduced social connection can lead to increased mental health concern. And I think that um, resources are really key. So within the broader community, I think, yes, stress has increased. I think at Scripps, there's been an increase in recent, uh, recent months because of COVID, but overall, Our um, community is functioning quite well. Uh, People at Scripps Mm. tend to come in with universal concerns, such as general stress, mood issues, and relationship concerns. Some also come in with work and work-life balance issues because scientists tend to work more than most people do in other fields. So we at CAP sometimes have to remind them that rest itself is an essential key to replenishment. And I think we're happy to do that, and I think it helps. Right, yeah, that does seem to be <laughs> perhaps a a very strong issue in the scientific community. I'm curious, have you always worked with scientists? Oh, that's such a good question. I, I've worked with scientists for here at Scripps Research for about 14 years, and it's the best job I've ever had because we have such responsible, bright, motivated people to work with that when we assign homework in therapy, people do it. <laughs> uh, they're, they're naturally very follow-through kinds of people. Um, But before this, no, I worked, actually, I spent a lot of years working in university counseling centers and also working in private practice. So I would say the Scripps community is similar mostly to my clients at universities, but are unique in their own ways as well. Right. Now, you were just talking about social connection and uh, community, and I wanted to get your thoughts on social media and the role that that plays in our society and, and you know, whether it might be helping or, or harming um, certain populations. I think that social media, both ways. I think that we can utilize social media to help us feel connected in the world. I think certainly uh, Netflix, Zoom, 
YouTube and Instagram and even some video games have been very comforting for people during the time of pandemic and have helped people to feel a little less alone in the world, which is very important. However, I also think that it's easy to get bombarded with information and with uh, difficult news and negative information. So I always recommend to clients that they try to take in about half an hour of news in the morning and half an hour in the afternoon so as not to get overwhelmed with it. That sounds very healthy and I try and be diligent on that too because a lot of my job involves this stuff. So you, you just, right. it does drive you mad if you stay on it all day. You have to take breaks. That's right. But if you enjoy playing a video game that allows you to escape to another world like uh, Animal Crossing or my son likes something like Zelda Breath of the Mist. Oh, I used to you know, love allow- Zelda, yeah. <laughs> right, which allows you to travel to different worlds and feel like you're kind of experiencing more outside of your four walls. I think that's fine in, in limited doses. Right, yeah. My time on the um, on Mario Kart and um, James Bond Goldeneye <laughs> was not limited doses when I was growing up. So... <laughs> But I'll bet you had a lot of fun. I sure did. I sure did. Hopefully it didn't have any lasting consequences. <laughs> right. So you've been running some amazing uh, workshops during this period. Uh, we had one with our team, and I'm sure you've been doing them with other groups on sort of uh, mindfulness and, and self-compassion. And I was just wondering for a general audience, and I think you shared some of these during our session, but what are your favorite online resources or books even um, that you would sort of advise people could go to um, to actively help themselves? Great question. First of all, I want to make a pitch for our community uh, in-house resources. Um, I really encourage people to attend at least one of our monthly support and discussion groups. We offer a graduate student support group, a postdoc support group, a mindfulness group, and a flying solo group which is a group for people who are living on their own during the pandemic. I think that people living alone now may be struggling more than anyone else during these times. And so we at CAPS are here to support them. And on to your bigger question, I'm a big fan of high-quality workbooks for self-care. I like the Mindfulness Stress Reduction Workbook by Bob Stahl and Eliza Goldstein. I also think the Self-Compassion Workbook by Kristen Neff and Christopher Murr is fantastic. Mm. Additionally, we have a range of useful books for checkout in our CAPS library to help with everything from mood issues, anxiety, and parenting, to grief and loss, and relationship issues and other topics. I also enjoy a good app. We have a list of excellent and free apps for everything from stress reduction to healthy sleep strategies on our CAPS webpage. So I welcome people to go ahead and check that out. Very good. Yeah, and you mentioned the sleep, and I've got to say, I mean, all these things you know, work together. And I have found that when <laughs> when I'm taking care of myself in terms of sleep, you know, exercise, sunlight, diet, it does make a huge difference. Very complimentary. Uh, absolutely. I would say if you had to focus on just a few things in terms of self-care, I would say make sure you're getting seven and a half to eight and a half hours of sleep every night. 97% of people need that much sleep. I would say make sure to eat three times a day at least. And to get outside in nature a little bit, ideally walking fast or running and get in some movement somehow. It really helps with stress reduction. I know I found that in the mornings and it's been great 
actually working from home, trying to get outside before I begin work. And that sunlight kind of sets your body clock. Um, my, my background is circadian biology, so I'm kind of geeked ah. out on that stuff. And it, yeah, it really helps. That's wonderful. And your instincts are right on target. I think yeah. that's a great idea. And there's a lot of research on the benefits of being in nature. So fortunately, living in San Diego or Jupiter, Florida, people in our community have the luxury of being able to get outside 12 months a year, and we really <laughs> should do it. Right. I'm curious, do you do this yourself, or do you advise meditation or journaling? I recommend all of those things. Uh, I believe that part of self-care is self-soothing. And so I'm a big promoter of things like meditation, journaling, um, yoga. I do something called wall yoga, where you use the wall to uh, deepen your stretches. And I love that. I have other interests and hobbies as well. But I think that doing things that calm you down, that soothe you are really important parts of taking care of yourself. I'm glad you mentioned yoga and I do that. And just that act of breathing through the nose and, you know, activating that more relaxing side of the nervous system, I think, makes a huge difference. Absolutely. And again, what's, what's lovely about a lot of these things we talk about when we talk about self-care is that there's solid research to back their efficacy and their helpfulness. So meditation helps with not only personal well-being, but may even help with longevity. Yeah, the efficacy is a good point because... I mean, I've been guilty of this myself, you know, just thinking, oh, well, I haven't got time to meditate or, or do these other things. And it's the, it's the realization that actually this stuff makes you more efficient and helps every other aspect of your life. <laughs> Absolutely. Also, there are meditations that run different lengths of time. So if you're really rushed for time, you could just do a five-minute meditation when you first, you know, get to work, or you can do it when you get home from work and you are taking a break before you make dinner, I think. A short meditation can make a world of difference. Now, I wanted to bring up this difficult aspect, I guess, of balance with the self-compassion. And I feel like, you know, a lot of people realize that to become a high achiever often, you know, by definition, you we kind of recognize our insufficiencies and attempt to sort of better ourselves in a, a given domain. So, yeah, how do we get that balance right with the self-compassion versus, you know, not being uh, hard enough on ourselves to sort of drive us towards a goal? So that's a really good question, and what I, what I want to say about self-compassion is it's not the same thing as self-pity or self-indulgence. Mm. With self-compassion, we encourage ourselves to move forward in our lives as we would do otherwise, but we do it with uh, a warm and uh, encouraging voice. So, yeah, something I've been thinking about is how much our CAPS counselors work to help our hardworking community develop work-life balance. It's interesting because, you know, the projects people work on uh, require the focus of a marathon, but sometimes our community members treat it more like a sprint where they go, 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 and they don't stop. So we work to remind them that developing relationships and interests outside of work actually fosters creativity and productivity. And yes, research categorically confirms that encouragement and self-compassion work much better at increasing productivity and efficiency than does self-criticism. So engaging in compassionate self-care actually boosts our ability to do good work. Let that, let that stay in your mind as you set your goals. Right. That's fantastic. Yeah. And I'm glad you made that distinction. Yeah. Really cool. Oh, so I have a somewhat personal question, but how do you deal with all of these sort of stresses and, and burdens that you um, 
sort of actively take on from other people you know do you see a, a psychologist or, or counselor yourself like it seems like it must be very mentally taxing in some ways over the course of my career so far I've learned how to care about my clients and be deeply present with them when they're talking with me but also how to let go what I need to when I get home at the end of the day I think it's part of our training actually we we see clients from our first year of clinical training and we learn how to work with them, but also take care of ourselves. Mm. And I'm actually very good at self-care. My husband's also a psychologist, so um, we both kind of get it and uh, look after ourselves and each other. Um, not only do I like yoga, but I really love um, reading contemporary fiction and memoirs. I like to be outside and go hiking and ziplining when I can, which is a great wow. tension release. Wow, yeah. yeah. And talk about letting go. I was going to ask, you know, what are your hobbies and interests in? Wow, zip lining. I, I love it too. <laughs> That's right up at the top. Right. right. I mean, last year before the pandemic, um, my husband and I got to zip line in the cloud forest of Costa Rica where he grew up. Whoa. And it was, it was a spectacular experience. My other love is art. My father was an artist and political cartoonist before he retired. So I just have this deep-seated love of the arts and visual art in particular. And I find that, you know, looking at art is very mm. meditative and soothing for me. Do you draw or paint yourself? I draw. I have a few very uh, simple paintings up in our house because I like homemade art, uh, but I wouldn't consider myself a real artist. I think that takes a lot of natural talent and training, and I, I'm not up there. <laughs> <laughs> no, me neither. <laughs> I guess this is a performance art in a way. <laughs> we all need to know our limits, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Hey, well... Thank you for everything you do and for helping us to, to navigate our professional and, and personal lives. But before you go, I must ask you my final question, which is, you know, if you could give one piece of advice, and I think you've already given plenty of advice on the, the show already, but if you could give your one piece of advice or wisdom to anybody in, in work or career progression, you know, life, health, self-improvement, what would it be and why? What's the big one? I mean, that's a wonderful question and fun to answer, but I, I have to say I'm probably going to give you more than one. Um, first, I would say trust yourself and always let what you know to be healthiest for you to be your North Star, particularly in times of challenge, change, or uncertainty. People tend to doubt themselves a lot, and I find that they usually knew what they needed to do right from the get-go. They just didn't believe in it. So I, I encourage people to trust in themselves. Connect regularly with those you love and who love you, especially during this time of quarantine. I think virtual connection is better than no connection. And along with regular exercise, helps to maintain good spirits and reduce stress more than anything else. And finally, I would say give yourself permission to be brave. Take healthy risks when life presents them to you. I find that people who come in to see me often are about to make a big choice, but they're scared to take a leap. And it's often my job to help them make that leap safely uh, and successful. We usually regret the things we haven't done more than the things we have. So I say, give yourself permission to live a full and rewarding life. Wow, powerful words there from Daphne. And I think we can all relate to those times where we need to be brave and take action. A huge thank you to all of the counseling and psychological services team on both campuses. They really do add so much to the spirit of our community. And in the show notes, you'll find links to some of those helpful mindfulness resources that we discussed. Remember to follow Scripps Research on social media. And if you're feeling generous in this giving season, remember to share this episode and leave us a five-star review. So until next time, thank you for joining me. Take that deep breath 
and look after yourselves out there. Bye-bye.